Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 57. And the last time we did the sermon called Be a Good Witness, which is good for everyone, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, as people of God, we should reflect, radiate, however you want to talk about it. Um, We are going to speak about contextually the Israelites, but certainly there are some really awesome applications to us today in this dispensation of grace. Uh, today, the message is titled Contrasting Lives, and we're going to look at this with the backdrop of Israel uh, and them returning from Babylon to Jerusalem, but there's, again, a lot of applications. That's why the Bible is called the Living Word. A lot of applications for us as well this morning in our era. Um, there are going to be some, and this is what you get when you really get into Scripture, when you go to a church that actually covers the entire Bible not just our favorite parts. There's going to be some hard truths that God is going to share with us through his word that may even be uncomfortable at times. But that's what builds our character. That's what makes us stronger. And hopefully, that's what also gives us a desire more and more for the lost to come to salvation because there is no salvation other than in Christ. So we're going to look at that and we're going to check this out in five parts. So jumping in, Isaiah 57, the righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds each one walking in his uprightness. So one out of five is that the righteous are spared via death, by way of death, not from death. It's important to point that out. Now, the context is that, you know, again, we've been taking this as a book. You know, we're up to chapter 57. So there's contextual issues. You know, the chapters are, are for convenience, but something happened before that. And this really speaks about the terrible situation in Israel that caused them to, you know, to be invaded by the Babylonians and be expatriated to Babylonia, so to speak. Uh, but what happens is these wicked men rose up, unfortunately, in secular positions like kings and leaders but also wicked men rose up in spiritual uh, positions. And we see this in Matthew 23, when Jesus walked the earth, his biggest criticism was not for the sinners, the uh, overt sinners, but it was for the crooked, hypocritical religious system. So because of this, you know, I can't, can't really say, well, I feel sorry for the culture, because the culture became very decadent too. So you had King Josiah and King Hezekiah with these great reforms spiritually. But once these men died, the people went back to their old ways. We we have that issue today sometimes with folks, you know, going back to their old ways instead of moving forward and being led by the living God. So a lot in here. uh, But here was the blessing that the righteous 
were spared from the calamity of the Babylonian invasion. Um, they died actually prematurely before this situation happened and they rested in peace. Now, this is a difficult concept for the unsaved that death could ever be a blessing, but death is actually home. You know, as believers, as Christians, I love my life. I enjoy every day that I wake up and I have, you know, the sun reaches into my eyes and I take a breath in the morning and, you know, God preserve me for another day. But I know that the home that I live in geographically is not permanent, that God has prepared a place for me in heaven. So the Christian always lives in light of eternity. As a matter of fact, when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, even Christians who have been persecuted, that some of them, while being, you know, horrible ways that they were being tortured, they were singing and praising God. And even their tormentors would remark about that because they knew, okay, I'm dying physically, but God, the Lord has already promised to receive me. So good stuff in here. Now, if I paraphrase verse one, which I like to paraphrase at times, it helps to understand sometimes the choppiness of the Hebrew to the English. It says, and I'll read it again in light of a paraphrase, the righteous and the merciful people die prematurely in this wicked culture and nobody cares or even questions it. That's even more fascinating. We know that in the earth's future, there will be a rapture where the Lord calls his saints home before he delivers the revelation judgments. Serious stuff, if you ever read Revelation. But he's, gonna, he's called to protect us. And when Christians start leaving uh, the earth and the, the rebellious and the unsaved look at that, they're not going to care either. So this is almost like a precursor to that. And some of their attitude will be, well, so glad we got rid of those Christians. They're such obstructionists to the things that we want to do in our culture. When a culture is, is, is decadent, it becomes very decadent. Ironically, the ones that are telling the truth of God's word become the villains. And you've seen this in every era, including Isaiah's day. Isaiah was killed by his own people, by the way. Great prophet. You know, we're so in love with his writings. But remember, some didn't want to hear it because it meant that they would have to change. A lot of good stuff in here. Christians today fill prisons in North Korea, Iran, China, just for sharing the gospel and giving out Bibles. So I always pray for the persecuted church. There are brothers and sisters that will be with in eternity. It's also a curious thing when a nation moves away from God and there's consequences for sin, bad things happen, and then they blame God. So they don't want God, and we see that in our culture. They, a lot of it, those that are prominent on the TV um, you know, the elites, they want the blessings, but they don't want God, and they're not mutually exclusive. They go together. When evil and sin prevails, even people's thinking processes become distorted, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So jumping in in verse 3, continuing on, it says, but come here, you sons of the sorcerers, or the sorceress, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offering of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks, among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion? They, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? Now remember, this is God speaking through Isaiah. 
to his people. On a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. Also behind the doors and their posts you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their hand. You went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes. You sent your messengers far off and debased yourself even to Sheol or the grave, right up into death. You are wearied in the length of your way. You did not say there is no hope in the lifestyle that I'm living. You have found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. So two out of five is the idolatrous culture. Now, there are euphemisms, there are colloquialisms, there are figures of speech, there's translation issues, and that's my job to make it crystal clear as best I can. So two out of five is the idolatrous culture. What is he saying here? He's speaking about the, the sorcerers. He's speaking about the adulterers. He's speaking about beds. Now, this was God. This is a concept. It was called, well, we know what adultery means if somebody's unfaithful in a marriage. Uh, this was spiritual adultery, which God looked at his people, not in a physical way, but he looked at his people as he was the, the husband and they collectively was, were the wife. So that, that's this incredible love that he has for his people, whether it was back then or today. And when the people started becoming decadent, they started moving away from God. They started uh, worshiping figurines and deities of other cultures. They walked away from God. They gave their loyalties to this, these weird type of sects and um, really demonic entities. And God was very upset. He was very grieved about that. So he speaks about them. The, many of his people as spiritual adulterers. Now, if you look at the details, verse 5, it says that they were inflaming themselves with gods, little g, under every green tree. Now, these were, check this out. <laughs> like This is like almost 3,000 years ago written. These were sex cults which led to unwanted pregnancies which led to the murder of babies. Has anything changed? Right? Um, they sacrificed their newborns to their gods of pleasure. Now, don't get me wrong, and you, you know me if you've been here for a while. I don't judge people. It's not my role. But I do judge false teachers. I do judge um, industries, and I'm good on that according to what the Scripture says. I have a problem with, obviously, the abortion industry because largely they take money from scared young girls. They lie to them about what the procedure entails how it's humane, how it won't leave emotional scars, how it's a blob of tissue. Then, I actually did a lot of research on this, then they were caught selling baby tissues, like parts, to science. And there was a big thing about it in 2015, 2016, and it disappeared. So I don't really know what's going on, but it doesn't fit the media narrative. They had to put it out because it was so egregious but they really wanted to bury the stories because it doesn't fit the narrative of the culture that we live in. So it's actually fascinating if you watch it, uh, but, you know, again, where you would think that this, to, to sell that to, to science, you know, the Nazis did experiments like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we can consider that acceptable in our society, but again, nothing's changed. This is what people do when they go, when they become very decadent. Uh, four, it says, whom do you ridicule? Do you stick out the tongue? It's, you know, even though it's a, it's a colloquialism and there's a translation from Hebrew, we could kind of make, we, we understand 
what they're saying. You know, it's a, it's a ridicule, it's a, a mocking. And what happened is the evil would ridicule the righteous. The evil would ridicule the prophets. Again, we read about the Apostle Paul, we love him. We read about Peter and John, we read about Thomas, we read about the prophets. But if we really read like the Book of the Martyrs, their ends, their deaths were not good. Almost all of them were martyred, they were killed. And largely, sometimes by their own people. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I talked about this, it's a, it's a tough truth that we have to swallow when we read God's word. Um, Christians are often portrayed, right, the, the, the evil ridiculing the righteous. Christians are often portrayed in, in movies and by the media, even in academia. I mean, there's some weird teachings on college campuses now. I'm sure you've read some of these articles. They're bizarre. What is going on in these college campuses? I mean, in, in these bubbles, right, that are, you know, they all feed each other. The academia, the media, right? There's one article I read recently how one professor said that, uh, really, I shouldn't even say it. I mean, it, it said that God would did a horrible thing by impregnating, impregnating Mary with the Messiah against her will. But we read in Luke that she's giving glory to God, her Savior, and she had the honor of doing this. And the guy is so full of knowledge and full of degrees that he doesn't see the obvious that this was done so that he could be saved. You know, they, they focus on the minutiae and they miss the big picture. And I got dozens of these articles. It's just bizarre. And I really feel for the young people, the millennials growing up under this because it's very confusing. And I would say to Christians, we need to be reading our Bibles because the truth is found in there. Uh, so this is what goes on. Uh, verses six through nine, it said that they... God's people were giving devotions uh, normally offered to God is so weird. Talk about unfaithfulness. Their, their grain offerings, their drink offerings, all the offerings that were, were reserved to God, they started now giving to these demonic entities. They put these little deities in their homes and, and they would bow down and they'd have little, little rooms to, to worship these little demonic deities. I mean, again, you don't, you don't see, I don't see not much of a difference today. Sometimes the, the idols that we worship in our culture is self, self-aggrandizement. It's our little deity because I come before everybody else. It's a poison in our culture. Verse 9, it says that, or basically what we find is the people now go to the king, right? They offer him uh, gifts. And what happened was when the God's people weren't, weren't getting anywhere with their little deities, Right? They went to foreign kings, and they would bring gifts, and they would try to make alliances. And God said, don't do that. I'm here for you. And they didn't listen. Um, but that didn't work either because the, the foreign kings didn't help them if you know world history. They were conquered anyway. Uh, so my question is, what are we trusting in? I have to ask that question this morning. Well, if we're honest our, with ourselves, if we're actually sitting here thinking about it, sometimes we trust in ourselves. That was me before I was a Christian. I thought I could solve all my problems. I thought the more I learned, the more skills, trades, the more I went to school, it was all about me. I was trusting in myself. But at some point, I had to realize that I couldn't save myself. And when I was exposed to the word, it was a, it was a check in my, in my heart that I'm, I'm really not following the right path. We, would, we could also ask the question, who do we turn to in a crisis? Maybe you have that guy or that girl, you know? Or your BFF, you know, the person that always bails you out. But it isn't going to work when you die, right? It's only Christ who did that work on the cross that assures us passage into eternity. It's an awesome thing. 
Trust in Christ. When you die, it's it. There's no board game. Well, you have to do this first. And listen, the Apostle Paul says that uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, probably faster than I just snapped my finger. That's how quickly it happens. So just to cover this really quick, in verse 2, the righteous go to their beds, right? They rest in peace. But when we look at verses 3 through 10, we see beds, 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 but this was the unrighteous. Their beds were with deities that couldn't save. So we'll continue. Verse 10, it tells us that their sinful, stubborn lifestyles wearied them, but they wouldn't change. They wouldn't grieve. They wouldn't repent. Folks, our culture, you know, I say this, I don't say this about a group of people. I don't cut it up into demographics. I think our culture in general. And sometimes when I speak about this generation, people think, oh, yeah, it's those young people. It isn't those young people. It's those people my age, too, and people older than me that this culture is infecting. It's polluted. It's a sinking ship. So the question to you is, where do you want to be when your heart stops beating? Because if you're expecting humanism or the UN or technology to save you, you're on a really bad footing. The, sh- the ship is sinking. You know, the Lord's throwing out that life preserver in the form of Jesus Christ. You've got to take that. Because eventually, you know, when we die, what we believe, what we did here will determine where we spend eternity. Where do we put our trust? So when you look at them and you look at us, we need to put down our idolatry of self, of other people, of relationships, even of religion. Religion will save me. Religion won't, won't save you. It's not reflect. Jesus didn't teach that. That's not in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I don't know where people come up with this stuff. I read the, old, the whole Bible from beginning to end. It's not in there. Something to consider. Verse 11, it says, And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me? Remember, God's speaking to his people through the prophet, nor taken it to heart. Is it not because I have held my peace or remained silent from old that you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your works, but they won't profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them away. But he who trusts, who puts his trust in me, God says, shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. So when we look at, this is part three, I titled this, The Bridge is Out. The Bridge is Out. God has to get them to consider they're drifting from him. They're turning their back on him. They're switching loyalties to things that don't save. You know, you know, ever notice, especially in the prophetic uh, books, that there's a lot of questions. God asks questions. You think it's because he doesn't know the answer? <laughs> he does know the answer. Every question that God, that God asks, he has an answer to. And sometimes... You know, I just, you know what I love? I love so many things about God. One of the things, because I'm a thinker, is I love his reasoning skills. God gave us a brain. He gave us free will. He set us in motion. We could do evil or we could do good or we could do a combination. But he tries to get our attention by asking us questions. And when we ask those questions of ourselves, we actually start to think. You ever have that happen to you? You ever go into a counseling session and somebody starts asking you questions? And you're like, they're supposed to give me answers. Why are they asking me questions? Because it gets us to think. I love that about the Lord. Any good counselor will take his or her skills from what the scripture says to draw things out of those who are in dysfunction. I just had to do a little aside on that. I I just love that. Verse 11, he says, is it not because I held my peace that you don't fear me? In other words, a common mistake that people make is even today is if, so I'm going to sin a little bit. I didn't get struck by a lightning bolt. All right. 
Let me try a little bit more and a little bit more. God's a patient God. He's a merciful God. But don't take that to mean that he has no problem with sin and he's ignoring it or he doesn't see it. You know, I look at, you know, I look at the scripture and I, I look at the things that he says and, and I have to go back to the last point. Again, for those who are questioning, they're considering the things of God, God made us, he gave us free will, we make choices. Now check this out. The critical world will say, well, there's not enough justice in the world. God's not acting fast enough. Why are these things happening? Then what happens is the people go on, they go on, they go on, and eventually God does mete out justice and things happen. And then that same group says, God's a mean God. You can't have it both ways. You can't complain that God is being patient and merciful and taking his time. He's not moving fast enough. Then when he finally gets around to, in his, in his patient timing, to dealing with the sin issue, then you can't say he's a mean God. Again, it's that same group. That's, you can't do that. It doesn't work. It, doesn't, it, it defies logic. So what it shows is that God is merciful and he's patient. And he gives us free will. But eventually there has to be consequences. Verses 12 and 13, he says, I will declare your righteousness and works and they will not profit. They will not save. And that's the idea is I'm a good person. So therefore, I didn't kill anybody. So I deserve to get into heaven. Now, I don't really know much about George Bush, but there was this big funeral. And if you watch TV, you can get very confused. Because when the guy was alive, they couldn't stand him, especially when he was in office. Now they're treating him like he's, he's at the Lord's right hand. You know, and, but here it is. You have to look beyond the facade. TV, I think, really helps us. We lose IQ points the more we watch television because it's, it's a brainwashing tool. The, the idea of the humanists, right? The media is controlled by a handful of corporations that are in it to make money. So think about that for a moment. The idea of the humanist is to say man is it and man will live for eternity and we are, we almost are, are raised above God himself. And their idea is that, well, when everybody dies, we can find the good in them and they should be able to get to heaven because the guy didn't kill anybody. It's not how it works. It's, it's a deceptive tool. I always say to Christians, we need to be more in our word, more influenced by God's word than what we see on the TV. Again, George Bush, I don't really know much about the guy. Um, I'm not going to say good or bad. I try not to get political from the pulpit, but I just see the hypocrisy on TV. I mean, you know, even serial predators in Hollywood that they cover for for a long time, well, when enough of the stories get out, oh, he's a bad guy now. Yeah, but you guys were okay with him last year, and all your politicians were taking pictures with him. Harvey Weinstein, I couldn't help myself. Um, He's a bad guy. (laughs) He should have been locked up a long time ago. NBC actually buried a story by one of their reporters to expose him. And they'll, no, 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 don't touch that guy. Now, all of a sudden, he's a great guy. He was supposedly part of the Me Too movement while he was violating women. And it's just question what you see on television. But a guy like Tim Tebow, oh, they couldn't stop making fun of him for kneeling down on the field and giving glory to Jesus. He's, a, he's the enemy. He shouldn't be doing that. So you see how they pick the winners and losers. And we have to be better than that. You know, we have to be more informed than that. So we look at that. Okay, he says, go ahead, cry out at death. Your little idols won't save you. So here God says, your self-righteousness, all your good works, good works over bad works, right? That's what the world says. Doesn't say that in the Old Testament, doesn't say that in the New. 
But the world says, my self-righteousness, I do good works, I, I have a religion to fall back on. What God is saying is none of those things can save you. And I've always said from the pulpit, warning equals love. If a cop jumps out in front of your car and he screams, the bridge is out, you could either say, man, those cops are always yelling at me. Or you can say, oh my goodness, he just saved me from going. You know, This is the mentality that people have. God's word is saying sometimes the bridge is out spiritually. And you can get upset because you didn't like the sermon, you didn't like the way Isaiah said it, or God this or that. Or you can say, maybe I should change my ways because maybe I'm heading for a precipice that I don't see. It's a trap. So this is what God's word does, right? And the question is, where are you with God? Because by contrast, he says, but those you know, that trust in him, that you know, we're still sinners, we're still going to sin, but that we desire the Lord, we desire relationship with him through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He says, you're going to inherit my holy mountain, you're going to inherit the land. God says, everything I, you see is mine, I own it all, and I want to give it to you. In the millennial kingdom, it's believed that uh, Christians will be r- raised up to, uh, to become like mayors and governors uh, over different regions of the world. And God's going to meet, remake it beautiful. This, it's going to be incredible what God is going to do if you actually read the scriptures about the end times, our future. All these, the too much rain and the hurricanes and the volcanoes, this stuff's not going to exist anymore. I'm looking forward to that. I'm willing to be patient for it. But my question to you is, are you go, 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 going in your life and you don't see that the bridge is out? Or you're not even considering that a bridge might be out. And I don't say it in a mean way. I say that consider the Lord Jesus while you're sitting here, right? Because he's died for your sins. Verse 14, he continues, and one shall say, Heap it up, heap it up, or it can be translated, build it up, build it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So four out of five is, this is where the good news comes in, these last two parts, right? We leave on a good note. Remove the stumbling block to God. Now, heap it up, heap it up was how they would build roads. They would actually, uh, the Romans did this too, they would, they would put debris They would put like foundational stones, whatever they could find in that region. And this had a double meaning because when the Israelites left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem, it was a long trek. There were times they had to build bridges. They had to negotiate different topography and difficult terrain. So in one sense, they built these roads so they could cross over them. But in another sense, what is God always looking for? He's concerned about our eternity and our spiritual health. So he's saying, this is the point in time, you, you've got the history, you've got the context, you've got the retrospect, now what are you going to do from here? Are you going to allow stumbling blocks to keep you from God? Or are you going to, you're going to be a part of the solution? And, you know, John the Baptist, when he came, just before Jesus came, he, he announced Jesus, and what did he do? He came out there and he was preaching, preaching, preaching. He said, prepare the way for the Messiah. He said that the valleys needed to be filled. The mountains needed to be cut down. The crooked ways needed to be straight. And he wasn't talking about a building project. (laughs) The Romans already done that. He was speaking about people's hearts to receive the coming Messiah. Very exciting stuff. So remove the stumbling block. I have to ask you this morning, what is it this morning That's a stumbling block from you being closer to God. It could be a person. It could be a relationship. God's not desperate. He wants you to put him first. 
So if we're putting relationships in front of him, he will allow those to play out. And sometimes they play out in a negative fashion. It could be religion. Religion could be something that you say, well, I only have to do this once a week. I follow most of their religious rules. I don't have time for a relationship with God. That's a stumbling block. I would say that, listen to what God says here. Remove those stumbling blocks. He says it all throughout Scripture. And it's an awesome thing to have a relationship with the living God. Anything else is a cheap substitute. Last few verses, 15. He says, "Thus, For thus says the high and lofty one, meaning God, who habits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Sometimes we need our hearts healed, don't we? Sometimes, especially in our culture, especially in New Jersey, this is a hard area. Even people come into church with, with their hearts guarded. It's like Fort Knox. You can't get close to me. I've been hurt all my life. God's desire is to heal. There's a lot of people that come into church that are wounded, that are struggling, that had a difficult past, that have a difficult present. God doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to heal you. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So five out of five is the paths of the repentant, the righteous, the remnant versus the wicked, the rebellious. And that's a good note to leave on. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. This is important because no person could make this deal for you. You know, somebody offers you a deal you can't refuse. You got to ask yourself, can they actually put up? Can they fulfill their end of the bargain? God says who he is before he makes this promise to us. He's the high and lofty one. He's the one who inhabits eternity. He's the one who created everything. Okay, he can definitely deliver. So I'm going to put my trust in him. But he, he inhabits eternity. He likes to hang out with our vernacular, right? The contrite and those of a humble spirit. The contrite, those who are repentant, those who are remorseful, humble people. This is near and dear to God's heart. And I got to tell you that, you know, you start to, after you become a Christian for a while, you start to think the way God thinks. I, I, I don't like arrogant people. I don't want to hang out with arrogant people. You know, arrogance and pride, and it's just, it's just not befitting, for, especially not for a Christian. You know, my wife and I, there's only a few things left on TV that are clean. We actually watch Chopped. We watch the Food Network, right? Anybody else watch the Food Network? <laughs> Got a few followers. And, uh, you know, the, the chefs the, come out there and they, they say their thing and they're getting ready to do battle and they compete. The ones who come out really arrogant, I'm like, I hope that person doesn't win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I like the humble chef who comes out and, you know, they know who they are. They know their skill set. 
Um, and they're just, they're just humble. They're sweet. It's an honor for them to be on the show. I'm like, I hope that person wins. So, you know, God looks at that. He, he looks at hu- humility, right? I'm amazed when I see somebody on TV who's got great talents, whether they're a sports figure or a, a scientist or whatever, and they give glory to God, and they're just so humble. I'm like, oh, I love that person. I never met them, but I love them. I want to meet them. Um, I can't deal with the pride and the arrogance. It's just and neither can, can God, apparently. Verse 16 through 17, even when God has to discipline, he says his desire is to show mercy. If you read the text, if you look at the paraphrases, his ultimate heart is to embrace his children and to bless them. Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. Unfortunately, discipline is part of his repertoire. It's part of his accoutrements. Because it's necessary. And just like with our kids, you know, if you never discipline them, boy, they're going to become a monster soon. And they're going to become everybody else's problem. Okay? Uh, But the stubborn will be hardened until the last day. You know? God pleads through the Old Testament, not because he's desperate. The Apostle Paul said he pleads through the word. I'm pleading. What's your angle, Pastor Joe? No angle. I just, to me, I love seeing people get saved. That's just... I want, I want what God wants. Verse 19 through 21, the repentant, the righteous, the remnant, right, versus the wicked. Let's look, at, let's look at the worst of the two, and then I'll leave on a high note. The wicked, he says, are like a troubled sea. They cannot rest. They're kicking up mud and dirt. And this is what happens when people live in dysfunction their whole lives, and they don't consider God, and they keep pushing God away. Um, you ever see like a rough surf? You know, you go down to the beach, and it just... It, it brings up st- stuff from the bottom of the seabed, sometimes trash, sometimes garbage, right? And it's like, it smells, it's nasty. Like, where'd this stuff come from? So I love God's metaphors that he uses. And you see some people's lives are turbulent. They're turbulent. They're like living in the, the, the agitation cycle of the washing machine. And you want to help them out, and they don't want to be helped out. They want to stay in, in the turbulence. Um, don't get it. But, you know, there's actually, we have a saying, there's no rest for the wicked. It comes from here right? Unfortunately, they'll also inhabit a troubled eternity. I'll just leave you with a a funny story, and then I'll I'll close up. It's so funny, even as Christians, you know, we can go out into the world, and we can be in the flesh. It happens. Our emotions, our feelings, our irritation. Now, I'm a busy person, and I know some of you experience this too, and I know there's programs I could do to fix this, but I get calls like during the day, during dinner. It's, they're scammers. Because you go to call the number back and it's like some local number that they spoofed. It doesn't exist or they, they covered it and made it look local so you think you're missing a call from somebody important. So I used to get really annoyed and I have to, I have to confess something. You know, they try to scam your credit card. It's, it's, they try to get your money. I would give them fake credit card numbers and they get frustrated. That, that doesn't work. I'm like, well, try this number. And I keep them on the phone a long time until they hung up on me. Or they cursed at me. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> but there's a better way. I'm, I'm not done. I figure I'm saving an elderly person from being hooked in. So that's my thinking. Okay. I try to change the way I do. See, I'm transparent from the pulpit. I'm not perfect either, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I try to do things differently. Actually, I've been doing this a lot lately, and I've been putting it on Facebook on the church wall. One guy called me the other day, and it was an obvious scam. And as I'm talking to him, you know, I'm, a, I'm an observer. Every time he paused, I could hear in the background, it's like they were in this big room with a bunch of cubicles, and they were all saying the same thing, the people behind them, right? So 
he gets on the phone. And I said, you know, Jesus died for your sins. Sometimes I get cursed at. Sometimes I get laughed at. Sometimes they hang up on me. Imagine that you're calling my house and you're mad at me when I'm telling you what I want to talk about. So, so I said to the guy, listen, he paused. I said, honestly, you don't have to do this. I said that you could really trust God and you can give your heart to Jesus and he'll make a way so that you don't have to scam people. He goes, okay. So we start talking. I asked him if he has family. I asked him if I could pray for him. I share the gospel with him. So I said, yeah, I'd like to pray for you. So he goes, when? I said, well, I could pray for you now. Or when we hang up, I could pray for you. He goes, can you pray for me now? So I'm praying for him. And I'm talking about God's mercy and his love. And I'm talking about my newfound friend that I hope to see in eternity. And I get done and he pauses. It's like he's never heard that before. Like, the dude is probably going to get in trouble if they're monitoring his call for not hanging up on me. But I I get this so often. You know, it's like you try to reach out. Listen, and I know elderly people. When I was a police officer, they'd come in. I'd be the station officer, and they got ripped off for like $1,000 and stuff. They're not good people. But you know what? Jesus also went in. And this is the best thing. I love to tell people about Jesus. They're calling my house all day long. So I win both ways. Either one, they're going to think I'm a kook, and they're going to block my number and give me rest. Or two, they're going to get saved, right? So either way, I'm a winner. Anyway, just wanted to leave you with that. (laughs) Now we're all going to drive them crazy. Hopefully they find something else to do or get saved. So (laughs) the first verse spoke about peace. The last verse speaks about peace. And he speaks about peace to the far off and the near. You know, God was always looking in the Old Testament towards the Gentile inclusion. He told his people, get ready to open the tent. Because those from the coastal areas, from different lands, they're going to come into this new organization that I'm going to call the church. Pretty neat stuff. Um, even if you look at two four, Luke 2.14, the angel speaking to the shepherd said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards mankind. And you might say, but I don't see peace on the earth. Well, you do see snippets of it, depending on as if we're giving our heart to the Lord or not. We also know that there will be a future uh, dispensation where there will be an everlasting peace and God will, the Lord Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. He will not allow war anymore. The animals won't eat each other anymore. A lot of good stuff to look forward to. So I would just say this to you and I'll leave it on this note. When we look at the Old Testament, we think, oh, Jesus, evangelism, you know, come to God, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing in the Old Testament. If you actually read your Bible, God, since the beginning, has been calling his creation back to him. And why does he have to do that? Because he's given us free will. He's not going to force us. Love doesn't force another person to love them. It sets them free like God did. And it's, a, it's an option. It's a choice that we make. But if God is calling you through his word, don't resist it. That's what this season is all about. If you think about it, don't miss the invitation by God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.